Hello again and welcome to the Impact Fashion Podcast. I am Chidubem. Thank you for joining me for another week. This week, I have fashion designer and sustainability design director at PINKO, Patrick Medal, on the podcast. Patrick and I talked about the evolution of the fashion designer and using data to inform design, amongst many other things. We even left fashion for a bit and talked about life. I enjoyed listening to Patrick's share and I hope you do too. Before I go, if you're enjoying the Impact Fashion Podcast, please subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening to the podcast. Enjoy. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit today about kind of designing with sustainability and circularity in mind. So I was listening to the Slow Exposure podcast that you did recently, and you talked about how design is about more than making clothes or creating product. Um, so my first, I guess, question to you would be how, if you had to, would you describe yourself um, as a designer as well as the work that you do? The whole point around designing, not just clothes, is kind of what I try to do with my practice is take a holistic view of sustainability and try to integrate it through all points of the business. I think sometimes in fashion, it, the idea that we kind of creatively put out these I- ideas of what the future might be a creative vision um, which is perhaps quite an old-fashioned view that was started in the 80s and and then it kind of stops um, like that's where the creative limit stops it doesn't look into any other elements of the business that I think if you look at fashion brands now people want more personalized experiences they want things that have their initials on them they want invitations to watch the show at the store they want things that make them feel like they're part of a community. And that's something that we can see across the board, all types of brands in all types of industries and price points as well. People want to feel like they're part of something. I think especially after this year with everything being so digital, I think people really want this kind of feeling of being together. Mm. And I think that's perhaps, I find it interesting to think about because basically Charles Frederick Worth in the late 1800s started a business model for fashion of showing seasonal collections which could then be ordered and we've still got the same system today it's just been kind of scaled up massively and um, I just find it fascinating that for an industry which prides itself on being fashionable it's actually incredibly old-fashioned in terms of the systems that the products sit within I think the innovation is always within the design itself and and that's so interesting and so important but I think it's also very important equally that we also redesign the systems that the clothes are sitting in otherwise you know we, we just keep perpetuating the issues of overproduction and waste. Maybe to lead on from the from your point about redesigning the system that fashion sits within um, if you had a magic wand or if there were any, are there any areas that you would want to basically see change? Yeah, I mean, often the elephant in the room for me with fashion systems is the fact that we guess what people want to buy. And consequently, we have kind of, I think it's like a 70% waste issue with things that we produce. And that's kind of at all levels of the supply chain. So we order 
more fabric than we need and we produce more clothes than we need because we're knowing that really only 30% of those things are actually going to sell, I think. So, you know, the, the real thing here is that you need to then talk to the people that are buying the clothes to see what they actually want because for some reason market research is non-existent in fashion companies, especially in luxury fashion. It's very much kind of like the eye of the creative director and and uh, and it is hard I, I know it's hard sometimes giving away your creativity to your customers but at the end of the day they're wearing it and that's also an interesting line between clothing and, and fashion mm. um, so I think if we had this kind of made to order system we'd immediately eliminate so much of the issues that we have with fashion and and you're also kind of giving I feel you're giving more agency to the people creating the clothes because it would be more of a process where people have ownership over the items instead of these kind of systems where people are just sewing a side seam or is it for example not that you could also do made to order that way as well um, but I think with digital innovations especially it's becoming increasingly easier to be able to create you know bespoke garments for for customers with a fast turnaround time and you know that's that's not even really talking about sustainability although that is sustainable in itself you know and that's that's also kind of leads me on to the wider point that for me, sustainable practice is basically common sense and it simply doesn't make business sense to have a business model that has 70% waste. Yeah, I guess it's quite baffling because um, I, so I come from the, the background of consulting and we're all around kind of going out to market, understanding the market actually wants the thing that you're producing before you produce it, because why would you waste money making something that no one wants? It just like, I guess for me, that was the thing that was really fascinating um, in kind of getting a better understanding of fashion was like wait why would you just create stuff and be like oh we'll see we'll see what sticks as opposed to being sure especially if it's a fashion business um, that something would be would be bought so you talked about community and people wanting to be part of something and um, bigger so when it comes to your brand what would you say is the something bigger that people are part of I try where possible to implement the values of, of my life into the business, really. So treating people fairly, having an educational focus, because I firmly believe a, a creative educational focus is really crucial to the success of human beings. <laughs> and, um, and also just this kind of common sense way of thinking about, around running a business, which, which you know, because it's common sense, it seems almost obvious, but somehow in fashion, it, common sense doesn't seem to be so uh, popular. Yeah, that's quite funny. So you, you've you kind of been working with overstock and waste fabric since you were 13. So um, I heard the story of how your mom didn't want to get, get you a new school bag. And so you made a new one with, with a pair of jeans. Could you just talk us through kind of your process now? Um, in terms of making new collections or, or making clothes with with waste how does that how what is what does that look like from start to finish yeah so there's um there's lots of nice things and there is lots of restrictions as well like you said at the beginning it was using uh, an old pair of jeans to make a bag and then that turned into using my mom's friend's waste fabric to make bags that I sold which then turned into me actually sourcing fabric from a store in Liverpool where I'm from which um specializes in selling end of roll and um, dead stock fabrics simply because they were cheaper sustainability wasn't really a thing then 
or if it was, it was something that had a very different image than it does now. Um, and then kind of fast forwarding onto going to Sandra St. Martin's and uh, doing an internship year at Burberry and, and staying there for the whole year and kind of seeing lots of the things that didn't really make sense in a big house like that. Um, led me to then ask the then creative director if it was possible to use some of that piece of fabric of which there is always a lot in all fashion houses to create my graduate collection and he kindly agreed. So that kind of started the whole idea of what I'd been doing as a kid, but in a bigger way. So for that climbing collection, we used um, the previous Burberry collections sampling meters of fabric and then for the collection after that the fire brigade one we used actually studio waste from Burberry which was even smaller which uh, was more challenging <laughs> um, and then we did a digital collection so obviously we didn't use fabric for that because it was all created digitally and more recently at the moment I'm making a collection which is using fabric partners uh, Tironi and Montego in Italy so that's dead stock fabric on rolls again which again is slightly easier I there's challenges with it because you know you have for me I have a design and then I'll have a twirl and then uh, sometimes I have to see if I've got enough fabric and if there isn't enough I'll have to change the design um, and within that there is kind of like this second design phase which really kind of sometimes pushes things further which can be really nice but you know it's challenging sometimes that in some ways was the liberating thing about creating the digital collection was because there wasn't limitations on the amount of fabric uh, we could use and what fabric it was, what colour it was, for example. So to have that kind of choice after so many years of kind of using things that were left over was um, quite liberating. But then, you know, we we also found out then the carbon footprint of the digital show was quite high because I'd used so many metres of fabric because somehow digital metres of fabric have, uh, they require more and more computer power to process them. So when I did these kind of big capes, they were actually using lots of energy. So it was interesting to find out that the carbon footprint of the digital show was almost the same as a physical show and obviously those things use different resources and you'd hope that your energy for electricity could come from green spaces but um, I do think it's something to bear in mind because it, it's not like digital kind of fixes everything the power even the power we're using to have this conversation now does have to come from somewhere. Exactly you, you said something in that conversation around creation versus value and actually creating something that the market values and wants as opposed to just having something that's creative and it's kind of presented and maybe gets a lot of press but isn't necessarily bought um and I think that's something that you mentioned has is you're trying to embed into your business where you're kind of trying to get a balance of, of both um creativity and value w what are some of the things that you're doing to I guess enable that to happen I mean we're working on a new kind of um way of working which would kind of focus more on clothes and more of a kind of market-led approach but I I kind of see fashion in two wheels I've always described it like this there's kind of like the PR fashion show model often the fashion show pieces rarely go into store and if they do it's more on a mannequin or something that you know some people would buy them and they might produce a few but in reality the carbon impact of that is low compared to the production of the other wheel in fashion, which is the um, showroom wholesale 
sale model. And that's where you kind of see these extortionate markups and kind of markups that are made even more extortionate because they know it will only sell at sale price. So then if they know it will drop down again, etc. So they're quite interesting because the fashion show supports a PR system within fashion, which works. And then that influences sales, but the sales wholesale showroom model is kind of separate and they they do kind of interlink at some points but lots of the times now new businesses focus on just doing the showroom wholesale thing because they don't see the need for the fashion show whereas what we've done in the past is just focus on the PR fashion show side of things and then collaborated with other people and kind of uh, you know been paid that way. It's fascinating for me because I, I I just think the more I'm doing it that there is such a difference between between clothing and between fashion and I'm, and I fully support the idea of presenting a fashion show which is artistic and pushes the creative boundaries of a brand and shows the real kind of creative passion of the team behind the name but I don't think that necessarily works so well in terms of everyday life what people are actually buying what people want so I see them as separate things so I think there's there's clothing and there's fashion and I and I think um, somehow they're quite separate in my head. So you talked about opting out of the wholesale business um, model of within fashion um, what was it like making that decision um, and kind of going outside of the norm? I mean it became very clear to me from graduation that working with fabrics in the way I was it, it makes it incredibly difficult to work wholesale unless you can source kind of large quantities of dead stock materials Mm. and also you know I think it's changed a bit now but at the time buyers wanted to see lots and lots of options uh, to buy a smaller selection and and it just simply wasn't in you know I'm from a very I make a point of saying this because it's important for anybody listening that's in the same background I'm from a very working class background and don't come from a fashion background I don't have any connections to fashion at all so I'm not coming from a place where I can have a family investment of £50,000 to start a brand which is kind of what you might need for the first collection if you were going to do it in properly or more and it's important because anyone listening it means that you can do it too but you and it also allows you to think outside of the box a bit more so it it just kind of quickly became evident that it wasn't really for me and then I don't really agree with the business model where the person making the most profit off my designs is not me uh, or the people making the clothes that's fine too but I don't necessarily think someone that hasn't really had any anything to do with the creation of the clothing habit taking the most profit seems a bit off to me which obviously nobody ever says because nobody wants to ever upset anybody else uh so you know I think about it a lot and I uh I'm aware that I could be doing different things if I had done it um and I'm not saying it, it maybe won't ever happen in the future but I just feel like what's the point of putting myself under lots of stress to create things that nobody asks for in the hope that somebody might buy them. Mm. Um, so, okay. So that kind of leads me maybe quite nicely on to some of the collaborations that you kind of participated in and your new role. 
Um, so could you just maybe elaborate a little bit, if you can, um, on what that um, neural epinka is going to look like and what are you excited for within that um, system? Yeah, so uh, about five months before the pandemic hit, I was approached by Pinko's PR team to talk about the idea of creating a collection based around upcycling things that they already had in their um, warehouse from past collections, fabrics and trims, that kind of thing. Um, and then obviously pandemic season, things went a bit confusing. So it was delayed slightly. And so in that little gap in the summer when we were allowed to go to places, I kind of zipped back and forth to Italy and very quickly did this collection made from uh, upcycled pieces, which in a lot of ways was a dream for me because I've been talking about doing that kind of thing with people a lot. And it, I'd done lots of things with people, kind of smaller things like more workshops or using bits of their material and things but never something on this scale so it was a big chance for me to kind of prove that this was possible that you can upcycle these things into a higher value product for the brand at the same time as elevating the brand's position as it's seen within fashion and we really proved that that's what you can do and we did it to such success that I was then asked to kind of stay and do more of these collections and help drive the brand into a more sustainable direction. And it is a journey. It's not, uh, it's not like these things change overnight, but, you know, it's a step in the right direction. And so I created the role for myself. In essence, I, I asked to be given that title. So, which is also important because those kinds of titles don't exist. To my knowledge, there isn't another sustainability design director specifically for the sustainability directors and sustainability teams but they never sit within the design team which is always kind of the problem yeah I, I, I think it's as, as far as I'm aware it's a first in fashion and I'm happy that it's with a brand that's not completely accessible to everybody but it is slightly more accessible than than certainly my own pieces although you know something which I'm trying to explore and I firmly believe is is also a big future of fashion along with digital is is also kind of rental. So you talked about how your you think about your designs or your collections as think tanks for sustainable ideas uh, and how you're open sourcing some of the, the the learning that you're kind of I guess acquiring as you're creating new collections. What's been the most interesting thing you've learned from other designers who are working within this sustainability space or circular um, space um, and I guess what is the thing that you've learned from creating your own collections that you've basically wanted to shout about to other people? Well I think myself it's kind of at the beginning I've, I used to get quite anxious about the fact that I wasn't doing everything right so for example even the fact that I sourced these crystals they're upcycled but they came in a plastic bag things like that would cause me a lot of stress because you're always kind of worried that somebody's going to be watching. Somebody might, you know, like they did with David Attenborough, go through his trash and find out that he actually had plastic containers, that kind of thing. Which is sad, really, because, you know, often people do penalise the people that are trying to do something. Um, you know, and I... So, for example, students a lot, this kind of thing comes up, well, I'm not doing everything I can. I, you know, I can't... I'm using this and it's not sustainable. Your impact as a student is so small compared to wider fashion 
as an industry um it's your creative ideas that are sustainable for the future you know pushing yourself sustainably making sure you're eating and sleeping properly and then kind of focusing on the work you're doing to push fashion into a new place in the future is what the impact you can make as a student or as a small brand even so I I wish kind of I told myself earlier not to be so hard on myself perhaps and that you know just by not doing wholesale even you're already doing so much to combat overproduction so it's um but then counterbalancing that if you don't do wholesale you're not being seen by as many people because you're not inside the places where people are buying clothes so you could argue that it's also really important to be in those spaces which it is and I've already you know I wasn't in them before and I've noticed since um, the Pinko collection was in Selfridges my recognition as a designer has definitely gone up um, because those places have lots of holding within people's minds you know even my grandmother knows what Selfridges is so it's um and it goes back to what Ursula says about it being a cocktail because it really is and no one no one person really can do everything especially when you're a small brand if you're kind of running things with a very small team it's very difficult to try and do everything so for example I try and focus on reusing old things but doing it in a way where they don't look old and uh, other people might focus on something else another part of sustainability whether that's you know about the people or whether that's about the water consumption or the co2 or something else i think if everyone tries to do one thing we'd have a much better kind of situation in fashion and then obviously if you employ two and a half thousand people you can then definitely do a lot more but again those i'm a little sailboat which can swivel around 360 degrees so many times within the same day even whereas these big ships it takes them a long time to turn and you know they're responsible for so many people and it's uh wouldn't be sustainable either for them to jeopardize those jobs so it's not as easy it's not as simple as lots of people think you know it it's a horrid word saying journey because it has so many other connotations in fashion but it really is uh, a journey often it's frustrating because it's not moving as fast as people would like but it's quite easy I think to see who's trying their best. Mm. Speaking around trying and, and kind of the things that already happened where do you see um, sustainability and circularity in fashion going in the future? Well I hope for a start that we don't need to use the word sustainability anymore <laughs> I think it's um, hopefully it's on the way out I think people are fed up of hearing about it and they're also fed up of the doom and gloom that comes with it, which is another important reason why I always try to make everything that I do look a certain way, because I, I deep feel deeply that it's important that these things look desirable um, and don't look recycled, most importantly, because, you know, in these it's not really early stages anymore but although we're kind of still kind of at the beginning of this overall journey it's important that that the examples are great and some people don't like the things I make which is fine they're not meant to be for everyone um but I'd hope everyone kind of looks at them and thinks well at least you know that really does look better than it did before um and then proving that you could do that at scale like we did with Pinko is also really important um, and then it also makes sense business-wise because you're kind of up 
valuing the product as well as upcycling it. And also if the business has already bought all of these things, then the, the business has already paid for everything. So you're not asking them to invest any more money apart from in the kind of breakdown and remake of the pieces. Where do you see some of the challenges and opportunities coming ahead? Circularity is really important because it does kind of make business sense. If you can put in all the things that you were throwing out back into the chain, it, it just helps. I think we'll see a difference in kind of avenues of the way things are consumed and experienced. I think the idea that things would just be the whole idea that things are linear is rubbish. It was it was it was created in the industrial revolution because they wanted people to buy things and throw them away and buy more things and throw them away which in turn kept lots of people in work producing the things kept the economy going through buying it all but that idea that everything is linear that you go are born you go to school you get a job you retire you die all of that is not real that was all created you know, we learn in, in cyclical ways. We experience things, try things out, play at things, put them back into practice and keep going on that spiral our whole lives. Or we certainly should be, we should be learning our whole lives, unlearning our whole lives, relearning our whole lives in order to keep up with innovation. That's what we're saying now. We're not educating anyone really for the, for the world that we are in now and certainly we'll be in in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. So the future of it is that it needs to be, it's, it's going to be around people waking up to the idea that things don't have to be so linear and people can do different things. If I want to wear something digitally, I can. If I want to rent something, I can. If I want to have something made, I can. If I want to make it myself, I can. If I still want to go and buy it at a, a store, I can. But, you know, there's all these other options and all these more kind of way, just different ways of doing things, which which are more interesting and um, more modern, more fresh, appeal to Gen Z or anyone of any age that has the mentality to think in a fresh way. And also it's just common sense. It just makes so much more sense. And um, of course, because the Industrial Revolution happened such a long time ago, why would we still be doing things that way? It's, it's so old fashioned. Yeah, change changes on its, on its way. Um, so I guess, okay, so what could potentially, or so what are some of the things um, that you foresee either being hindrances to us getting to that stage where, you know, things are different? Uh, unfortunately, it's the people that still believe the old system is the way forward. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, but the, the, the problem is at the moment is that it's those people that are the CEOs, they're the board directors, etc. Um, which makes it quite frustrating when you're trying to change things. Um, and also, let's not forget, if your business is making billions of euros through selling stuff to people in a linear way, why would you want to change that if it's working right now? Like, you're not really going to have any incentive to be like, oh, I'm going to stop making billions of euros every year and I'm going to change the way I'm doing this now. Um, Although, you know, in the future, it just won't be, this, it's, it's already happening. You know, this idea that it's some far away dream is rubbish because it's already happening. Like we've just seen 
Topshop close. You know, one of the biggest retailers in the UK at one point is gone. You know, remember the days of the Kate Moss collaborations, the biggest store in Oxford Street, opening huge stores in New York and Hong Kong, and now it's completely gone. Yeah. Apart from, let's not forget, its digital version of itself, which has now been bought out yeah. of the retail stores. So these things are already coming, you know, they're already happening. We're seeing them happen now. Debenham's closing. The fact, the fact that Selfridges has changed to become this kind of hub of different ideas it is proving that it's already happening. So I think it's going to bite people on the ass a lot faster than they realise <laughs> because it's, it's already going on. If anything, the pandemic's really proved that digital innovation can speed things up way faster than we ever really thought that it could mm. and um, you know the advances in AI you know they go hand in hand kind of a digital clothing and it, it it's fully possible that you won't need me to design anything in 20 years because there'll be computers for that uh, and then that's my time where I have to unlearn what I thought my life would be and relearn and do something completely different and it's in my ability to do that that will hold my success in this life. Because um, the idea that you'd have one job and then retire now is completely dead. It just doesn't exist. The idea that you'd have one family, one set of children, one home, one holiday every year, one car, all of this kind of linear way of thinking is not anything for the future. It's all incredibly old fashioned and came from this time when people wanted to create this idyllic world after the second world war and it never really was idyllic anyway it just forced people into doing things that they I think probably didn't actually want to do not to get too like um is it psychological or like I guess meta or whatever um but does that does that kind of prospect of having to online does that kind of give you a fright it's daunting but I think it's probably going to happen to me so I i got to be willing to change you know I um yes it is scary I'd be lying if I did said it wasn't but um you know I was born at a really interesting time I think because because I'm like 1995 so when I was born there wasn't a computer in the house there wasn't mobile phones with my parents like there was a computer when I was six or seven and mobile phones around then too so I think I'm one of the last people that was kind of born into a world that wasn't really fully digitized yet. Um, you know, in contrast to my younger brother, who's five years younger than me, who was born when there was a computer there, what, when the, what, you know, he grew up knowing how to use things. And you definitely see that now with my younger cousins who grow up kind of very confidently knowing their way around um, touch screens and the idea of a keyboard for them is probably old fashioned even. Certainly don't know what a CD is, let alone a VHS. Um, so that I think they'll all be fine because they they know how to do it, you know, but there's still in, I think in millennials, especially that it's very conflicting, this idea of between, between this old thing that they were brought up in to think that things are linear, that they will get married, have kids, have one job etc and then the reality they're facing which is very different to that I think in some ways it's why it's such a blessing that I'm actually gay because I immediately was kind of removed from all of those kind of societal expectations that many um, straight people have put onto them when they're when they're children 
Yeah, that's like fascinating. I mean, it, it, the conversation took a completely different turn. <laughs> but yeah, it's completely fascinating. Um, okay, so to bring it back, and, and there's another additional thing I wanted to kind of talk to you about, but we, we'll get to that. Um, what is your hope for the fashion industry? Uh, well, my main hope is that we kind of moved more towards a business model, which is more about making things people actually want and um, offering different avenues such as rental and digital for other experiences in fashion. And just taking more of a holistic view towards the industry in terms of being sustainable or circular and thinking, how can we redesign this instead of just thinking about how to redesign the clothes. Mm. The the thing I wanted to come back to was that commentary around how can we, or basically having market research influence the, the design, how receptive from some of the conversations that you're having with designers or from you, your personal perspective as a designer, how respe- receptive do you think that people will be to kind of having data influence the things that are created? I mean, it's already happening. There is brands doing it now. Again, it's kind of the, the older generation or thinking that, uh, I mean, and also it's very egotistical to think the creative director's vision would be, you know, all knowing like this, om- I think it's omniscient, is it, or something, that kind of God figure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just not, it just doesn't work. It never did work. We just all, fooled ourselves into thinking it did but uh people aren't interested in it anymore especially gen z i think that they don't they really see through it they're not they're not kind of like overwhelmed so much by it like uh i think people that were born in the 80s still really are you know um and that's kind of this breakdown of these institutions and things people opening the doors the idea of like secrecy and fashion leaving and people suddenly making all of these behind the scenes videos and things and and let's face it that's what I think people find most interesting now like videos about the people making the pose videos of the people in the studio videos of real life that's why TikTok's been such a phenomenon recently because it's you know feeding that hunger people have to see real things instead of these kind of very airbrushed versions of people's lives which we all know aren't true so I just find it incredibly exciting this change you know it's um I think it's going to be an incredibly interesting decade hello it's me again (laughs) thank you for listening um as I said at the top of the episode subscribe to the impact fashion podcast if you're enjoying it leave a review if you fancy it and if you have questions or suggestions for future future guests let me know. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Impact Fashion UK, all one word. Also bugging you now. See you next Friday.